0: This is Amy Impalazzari, host of Tall Poppy Writers Presents, I Know How This Book Ends, where we dive into the story behind the story of the biggest books out this year. Today, I am so excited. I have one of my favorite writers on, Colleen Oakley. She writes the most magical, beautiful stories. I am so excited to speak with her about the, her newest book. The invisible Husband of Frick Island. Everyone is talking about it, and now we get to talk about it. Colleen, welcome. Thank you, Amy. I'm thrilled to be on with you. Oh my goodness, Colleen, I'm a big fan. Um, I have, I think that your books are so fresh and exciting. I, I want to talk. We're going to talk about that, but first, let's just back up for a minute. Let's just talk about your journey to writing. Um, I know you were you started out in journalism and magazine editing. Is that right? Tell us a little yeah, bit about yeah. your journey from that from that road to fiction writing.
1: Yeah. So I started out at the illustrious, glamorous Boating World magazine in Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia.
0: I love it. Boating World. That's awesome. I know. I
1: didn't know anything about boats. I completely... Um, you know, bullshit my way through the interview
0: and to there, get a job. And thereby defying the the rule, write what you know. Okay, exactly. good. <laughs> right, right off the bat.
1: Right off the bat, I
0: decided that uh, You're rule. a rule breaker. I love that. That, that, yeah. that translated well into your fiction writing career. So yes. I like that you started out that way. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So I did that for a few years. I had a kind of meandering, strange career path where I became editor-in-chief of Women's Health and Fitness at a very young age. And then moved to New York and worked for Marie Claire um, and then went freelance and worked for a lot of the, of the women's big women's magazines and then started writing novels.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so when you were, at, you know, at writing for all the big women's magazines in New York, what was the culture like? Was it, was it, you know, sort of Devil Wears Prada culture or did you, did you not find that?
1: No, it's so funny because um, right when I moved, I think to New York was right when that movie came out. So that's yeah. what I was kind of expecting to yeah. find too, and it's not. I mean, particularly on the editorial side. Now there is a big divide between the fashion side of those magazines and the editorial. So okay. you know, I was we look like almost newspaper writers, like coming in in jeans and sweaters, and I love there it. There was nothing fashionable about me whatsoever. Um, and the fashion side certainly was a bit more um, aggressive in their,
0: yes, <laughs> in their yes. dressing
1: style. And it was fun. It was fun. But it definitely, um, you know, was I, different. there's a divide.
0: <laughs> I often I tell the story I worked when I worked in New York as a lawyer for many years. I worked in the Condé Nast building and we shared our our, our law firm shared the offices with the Condé Nast offices in Vogue. Uh, magazine and others and you would stand back when you were wa- wa- when I was walking into the door you could stand back and watch the C part and see the lawyers in the you know navy blue suits go to one side and the beautiful people go to the other side and you I would literally stand back and watch it i would think to myself i want to be going where the beautiful people are going but i was i was always going on the other side so um That's so yeah amazing. so i know exactly what you're talking about but i also did notice a look on their faces that made me think that maybe we were all sort of headed to the same kind of grueling day. <laughs> and be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <Right? Yes>. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so when, so when did you decide, Hey, I want to make stuff up for a living instead?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really always wanted to, I mean, I remember yeah. being a little girl and, and making up stories and, you know, my mom called them lies, but whatever. <laughs> tomato, tomato, and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, I think I was just always naturally creative. <laughs> so
0: that is yeah. actually my fa- my favorite <laughs> my favorite law answer to Were you always a writer? Okay, that's good.
1: <laughs> um. So yeah, I always wanted to. I you know I went into journalism out of school because. Even though journalists don't make a lot of money, they make a lot more money than I was aware that novelists made. So I, I needed to be able to...
0: <laughs> Thank God we didn't you know, know about that back then. <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: I needed to be able to feed myself. My dad made it clear I would not be moving back home. Um, yeah. So, you know, journalism was kind of the next best thing. Um, and then I just always kind of worked on my fiction, you know, at night, on the weekends, Um even sometimes at work if it was a slow
0: day. Right. It's too and, late. The statute of limitations has run. I won't they won't they can't exactly they can't, they can't do anything <laughs> to me now. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and so, so yeah. before I go, was before I go the first yes. novel you worked on? I know it was your well, first novel that was published. You know, I
1: think like yeah. most authors, it yeah. was the first novel of mine that got published. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so how was that? How did Before I Go find find its home?
1: Um, I mean, you know, it's kind of a long story that I will try to shorten, you know, like most other writers, I had written that, that other book, that first book that yeah. I was on sub with for a year and, you know, realized that it was not going to be getting picked up and, yeah, you know, you have to then move on and write yeah. something else, which sounds like now, and that is back, not it's easy. Like, of no, it's devastating, no. really. Yes, yeah, so really, of course, really it hard. is.
0: Yes. You know, is. your
1: confidence is shattered. You don't know if you can actually do this. Especially
0: it's, because it's your first, that was your first time around. So now yes. you're really trying to figure out, and this is a very common story. This is everyone's yeah. story in some, absolutely. in some fashion. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, and then I wrote, so I did write before I go and then um, got a new agent, which my agent was not like the reason that that book yeah. didn't go. Um, I understand. Yeah. So got a new agent and then she um, sold the book like in two weeks, which was yeah. so exciting, you know, anyway, but, but I think even more thrilling after coming off of that, you know, failure, like, right. <laughs> it just makes, well, it not a failure,
0: but, but you were not necessarily putting the story out there that you were supposed to tell. Do you feel like before exactly. I go, oh, I yes. the story you were supposed to tell? Yeah.
1: One, like, of course, in hindsight, I'm so glad that that book never got picked up. And Yeah. You know, I consider it kind of my learning learning curve book, but um, yeah, I mean, now I can certainly be happy in rose colored
0: glasses. About it. Of course, because it all worked out, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and thank goodness for us, because it 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 was a beautiful book. It is a beautiful book. A lot of times, there's sort of like a I, I don't want to call it maybe maybe this is the wrong term for it, but like a medical condition or sort of like a random medical issue that you've clearly researched. Um, Maybe made up a little, maybe maybe taking a little creative license. I don't know. Maybe they're all completely scientifically um, grounded. You make me believe they all are. So <laughs> how, do, how do those sort of evolve as the story evolves, or do all of your books sort of start with those those kinds of um, random medical facts?
1: Yeah. No, I definitely start with like the weird kind of out there premise. Yeah, um, and it they are they all are grounded in scientific fact but then of course as a novelist I take it to an extreme yeah. level that is not true but then I it's my challenge to make it be believable and true if that makes Well sense. they
0: complete. Yeah, I mean it completely works. You know, close enough to touch is about a couple who meets and and the woman uh you know can't be touched. She's allergic right. to to physical touch. Um which is you know, and and it's one of the most beautiful love stories I've ever read. So kudos wow. to you, right? And then, <laughs> you know, you were you were there too. Uh, has such an interesting um sort of dream premise, right? that yes. we can that that explain that a little bit more,
1: so you were there, too, is about a woman who's been dreaming about a man for most of her adult life, but he's a stranger. She doesn't know who he is. and yeah. Um, she ends up running into him in real yeah. life in her small town. And it turns out he's been dreaming about,
0: about her, her too. So yes. I have
1: to figure that out. And it's based on the true scientific phenomenon of mutual dreaming. Although, of course, in real life, it, mutual dreaming is generally two people who know each other really well right. and share the same dream on the same night, which actually happens quite often. Um, and I chose to make it two strangers because, of course, that's wildly more fascinating. <laughs>
0: Well, and it was so fascinating. And that's a beautiful story. And then that brings us to the invisible husband of Frick Island, where you introduce us to this idea of post grief hallucinations. Yes. And again, you know, something I just never thought about, never, never knew about, I'm sure has basis in science, and then becomes this really fascinating premise for this story. So, how did you? decide you know how did that become the new premise of the new book
1: yeah the the spark for <laughs> this weird little book um came to me about i think it was about 4 years ago and you might remember this story it was a pretty big news story it was a woman um out of australia who had been married for a long time she was older and her husband unfortunately passed away in their home of natural causes okay and she, you know, in her huge amount of grief and denial, decided to leave his body um, in their bed in their house.
0: Oh, this is so fascinating. And she this continued
1: story. living outwardly to their community, to her friends, as though everything were fine, that her husband were still alive. Like, every she just had a complete, you know, obviously a yes, psychotic break,
0: psychotic right? With reality.
1: And, um, it wasn't until I think a neighbor, uh, you know, smelled an odor from the house that they realized what she was doing, which, you know, I mean, it's obviously tragic and terrible and people grieve in so many different ways. But for me, for my, you know, novelist brain, I just thought, well, that is fascinating.
0: That really is fascinating. So that's so interesting. I didn't know that story, but, but that it's, it's great, right? When, as a, as a novelist, you just, you look through a, you look through stories like this, you look at stories like this through a completely different lens and thank goodness you do. Right. So I, I always wonder this about certain writers. I mean, certain writers have their lane and they're, uh, you know, they can probably pretty easily say, I write psychological suspense. I write domestic suspense. I write sort of an eclectic group of books as well. And I, I was just this weekend uh, meeting some people at a, uh, you know, the equivalent of a post pandemic cocktail party. And they said to me, Oh, you, you're a writer. What kind of books do you write? Which I always find to be the, a very difficult question. And I've decided that I'm going to really work on that answer. For you, that must be a little bit of a difficult question to answer. Tell me if you have worked up an, a good answer for that because your books are different and fresh and unique. And how do you communicate that to somebody in a couple of words?
1: Yeah. I mean, generally I just say that I write contemporary fiction, um, because it's a broad and vague enough, you know, uh, grouping of words that people go, Oh, you know, they go, okay. Um, but I think, you know, if I were to create my own you know, bookshelf genre like in Barnes yeah. and Noble or something. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I write unconventional love stories.
0: I love that. And I would completely, I would stand behind you and nod if you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would completely support that. Yeah. And I like that because and that's sort of really um, you know, that's they're real, right? They're real. You have these really fun, um big high concept premises, right. That might seem sort of totally out of, out of the ordinary. And yet you write real love stories because they're about complicated people having complicated emotions, reacting in unpredictable ways. I mean, that's real, right. Right, So, um, yeah, I think that's really, I feel that that's really great. They are unconventional love stories, but I think that's why we love them so much because there's something so relatable about them in their completely outlandish settings. (laughs) So let's talk about The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. Okay, so so give give us the elevator pitch for the story. I don't want to give any spoilers. So I want to be very careful about how I describe this book. So give me your elevator pitch for this book.
1: Yes. So it's about a young uh, widow named Piper, who lives on a very small, remote island off the coast of Maryland. And when I say small, I'm talking like less than a hundred people um and very remote. And yes. she uh in her grief over over the loss of her husband who who has been lost at sea, he's a he's a fisherman for his job. Um, she wakes up one day and continues living her life as though her husband Tom is right beside her, cooking him breakfast, walking him down to the docks. Um and the townspeople who adore Piper are not mm-hmm. quite sure what to do with this delusion that she's clearly living with. right? And they decide to embrace it and go along with it and wave to Tom. And, you know, they, yes. they just, you know, whole hog go all in. Yes. And it's all fine and well, because like I said, there, it's a very remote, isolated town until this reporter comes over from the mainland to cover this fluff piece on Frick Island for his little small newspaper. yeah, And he kind of stumbles upon this much more interesting story of a town interacting with a man who does not actually exist. yeah. And he decides this will be the big break for his podcast. And he starts unraveling, you know, maybe some mysteries and secrets on the island that, that the islanders would rather him not unravel.
0: Yeah. And so that's, what's so fun, right? Because he's, this starts out as being an assignment for this, um, newspaper job, you know, his day job, but he's got this side gig that he really like, you know, this dream project on the side, right. Where he has this podcast. So I love that. I love, you know, I love the podcast, of course, angle. And he decides, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of listeners, you know, his, his dad is sort of, you know, his number one commenter on, on the podcast. And he's sort of like trying to fit, you know, trying to, he had had one, one episode that had taken off and he's sort of been chasing that dragon ever since. And he decides this is going to be the way that he's going to sort of make a name for himself. And, right he and he's also not quite sure what the story is right he's still trying to like get his arms around the story what is going on here on this island and he keeps coming back to the island to to learn more and becomes a sort of a adopted member of the of the island and and starts to form his own relationships with the people on the island as well and and the island is so enchanting so is it based on any real place? I am crazy about the Chesapeake Bay area, by the way. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I love St. Michael's. In fact, after I read this book, I I immediately booked a weekend in St. Michael's because I haven't been there since the pandemic. And I'm like, man, I missed the Chesapeake Bay area. Is it based on any particular, is it based on a remote island that I don't know about? <laughs> yes. Have you heard
1: of Smith Island? Because that's uh, is the island
0: Rick is based on. Is it like off of Tillman like Tillman Island?
1: no, it's it's near they're they're close, you know, okay, um, but it's not it's it's not it's its own separate thing, Smith,
0: Island. okay, mm-hmm. so do they know that you've written this book?
1: They do, yeah, I went and have research. they embraced this um yes, I haven't heard I from everybody, but this. the people I've heard from loved it, you know, so thrilled. they were all so kind in letting me interview them and you know, get some, get some yeah. taste of their life for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So I love that. So, and cause you're, you live in Atlanta, am I right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what is your connection to Chesa- the Chesapeake Bay area? W- why did you decide to set the book there? Yeah. So my
1: grandparents uh lived in Salisbury, Maryland mm-hmm. and I used to go visit them. It's about an hour from the coast and um One summer, when I was you know in college, they said, We have to go to Smith Island and I said, Okay, <laughs> I love so that. We went, and it was you know truly uh to this day one of the most fascinating places I'd ever been to, and I never forgot it. so when I came yeah. up with the story idea, it was immediate that that I knew I had to set it on kind of my own version of Smith Island,
0: yeah, oh, I love that, you know. I, I've, I've heard Emily Giffen called this book, the hopeful book we all need right now, which I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a book about, you know, love and grief, but also, and climate change, <laughs> um, but, and, and also hope. Right. And so I couldn't help but wonder what the timing for the writing of this book was because we all know, you know, we've just, the past, you know, two years have been so, so difficult for so many. And Um, some of us have found it to be incredibly inspirational time to write. Some of us have been completely stilted in our writing. Um, but this is like the perfect book to help us on the exit ramp out of the pandemic. So where, where in that timeline does this idea come to you and evolve?
1: Well, it's so funny. It's, it's actually really interesting because I finished the edits to this book in March, um, when the entire world shut down. Yeah. So I okay. did not like, I was completely done I was
0: already there. Yeah. Um,
1: during the pandemic, which is great because I was then homeschooling for kids and, and not oh, able to yes. work at all. Yes. Um, but what's interesting, I mean, the, the sense of hope and community and support, um, that I hope the book kind of evokes is, is evergreen. I mean, because yes. one of the reasons I wrote it is, is right after, um, the election when, yes. when things were really volatile in yes. our country and people mm. were on two very different sides of this divide, screaming yes. at each other over social media, you know, there was just, it felt like so much hate and anger yes. in our country. Yes. And I really wanted to, I think, partly in this book remind myself when i was writing it yes. that that as humans we have so much more in common than than what separates us and so that's i think i was trying to remind myself hopefully yes. remind readers um you know that we all love and fear and hope and grieve the same you know what right. i mean and right. um And And even when people seem
0: so different from us and seem to be living so differently from us, it's important to to sort of like remember that and look again through that lens.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And remember the kind of the humanity of that person on the other side of the computer screen who may have very different beliefs and ideals than you. Um, Yeah. So that, that was kind of the reasoning, but then it did end up, you know, I think with the pandemic, you know, Mm -hmm it is such a hopeful book. It does shine a light on, uh, you know, the joy that can come even from the darkest moments. So, um, you know, I think it kind of worked out timing.
0: Perfect. timing. Absolutely. It is absolutely perfect timing. I always wonder, um, well, let's talk about this. Uh, actually we, because this is, I know how this book ends. I always, um, think about the ending of the, the books as I'm talking to, to my guess, and I don't, we don't want to spoil anything. So I don't want to talk in any real way about how the book ends, but does it end the way it was always going to, or did that change at all during the editorial process?
1: Um, it does end the way yeah. it was always going to. Now the yeah. journey to get there changed yeah. Many many times. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, well, that's common too, right? That's part of the process. Yes. <laughs> who who are your earliest earliest readers of your books? When you're writing, do you have beta readers? Does your husband read your books? Who who do your kids read your books? They're kind of small. Right? <laughs> yeah,
1: they're a little they're a little small to give any any good feedback. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, my husband absolutely does not because I would like to continue to be married to him. So that (sighs) would not go well. Um, But it's, you know, my my earliest readers are actually my mom and my sister, which is funny because anybody, the best advice you'll get is don't ever have family or friends be your critique. You know, right beta readers, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They won't tell you the truth. Like it's right. You, you won't get honest, good feedback. And I always joke with my sister that she has no problem hurting my feelings. In fact, I think she might enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, you're getting the
0: honest, you know, you're getting the honest feedback when you give yes, it to her. That's get so great. I
1: honest feedback from my sister and she's great. I mean, I, I yeah. write for her. I write with her in mind and I yeah. think about what is oh, she going to think, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then that helps you, that fuels you and that helps you close maybe gaps and And answer questions that would be outstanding. Yeah, my my sisters. I have two sisters that are my earliest readers as well, and I they're very constructive. Yeah, so I think that's good. I always joke though that my mother, I I never let her read it until it's completely ready, like about to go to print, because she's I I just know that she's going to be completely honest. (laughs) I I always want to hear all the other feedback before I hear hers. But, you know, but I kind of tease because she's always very generous with her praise. So I I shouldn't say that. She'll be emailing me now and calling me immediately after (laughs) listening to this. Um, So tell us what's next. You you told us that this book sort of was finished on the eve of the pandemic and then the pandemic hit. And we've all Mm -hmm. responded. All of us writers have responded to that time in different ways. Tell us what's next for you.
1: Um well I just finished the first draft of my next book that will come out early 2023. So
0: Oh hooray. Can yeah. you give us any any anything? I know you can't can't talk too much about it probably.
1: Yeah, no, I'm actually super excited to talk about it. Well, yay, tell us. <laughs> I love this book was so fun to write. So it's called oh. the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise. Okay. And Louise is an 84-year-old uh, suspected international jewelry thief. Okay. And Tanner is a 21-year-old college dropout who ends up caring for Louise, even though she'd rather be doing anything than caring for this geriatric in uh, her oh, woman.
0: Yes, um, yes, And
1: the two of them end up on the lam from the police. Oh
0: and gosh, Tanner is this. trying
1: to figure out who Louise actually is.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't wait for this book. This sounds amazing. And again, it sounds like another unconventional love story.
1: Yes. Yes. Very unconventional. Oh,
0: colleen, <laughs> thank you so much. We can't, what's the best way for everyone to keep in touch with you and make sure that we know when your next novel is about to hit shelves.
1: Yes. Very simply, they can go to ColleenOakley.com and there you will find all my social media links and book information and all that good stuff.
0: Perfect. Colleen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure meeting you and talking with you and everybody grab a copy of her latest novel, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. It is amazing. It is absolutely captivating. Um, It's one of those cancel your plans for the weekend books because you won't want to do anything else but read it. Thank you, Colleen.
1: Thank you, Amy,
0: for your support,
1: your kindness. This was so fun. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. And don't forget to um, rate this podcast if you like it. If you didn't, just keep moving along. Make sure to (laughs) make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you, Colleen.
1: Take care. Bye.